and welcome to a very special episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, coming to you from the midst of a pandemic. I pray that all of you have access to the resources you need. I pray that each and every one of us, as individuals and as communities, will choose solidarity over selfishness, hope over despair, and do what we can to look out for the most vulnerable. One thing out of a million things that's been disrupted is faith gatherings. It is not safe to gather in person in our churches, synagogues, mosques, temples, or homes. A lot of people who find spiritual sustenance in such gatherings are hurting right now, and it hurts my heart to know that. But as I went through the stories you're about to hear, I felt hope return. Because in these stories, from a whole variety of trans people of all sorts of faith backgrounds, I saw how sacredness extends far beyond our various worship buildings. The holy can reach out and touch you, not only in a temple or a church or a mosque, but in your own home, through a meaningful object, out in nature, anywhere. A few months ago, I put out a call for trans persons to tell me about their sacred spaces and respond to the question, what does sacredness mean to you? Since starting this podcast, the richness of transgender and non-binary spirituality has become more and more apparent to me, and I wanted an episode that would show that off, that would put to shame any person who dares to claim that you cannot be trans and faithful. Friends, I knew that my trans community is full of richness and wisdom, but even so, the responses I received for this episode blew me away, filled me with awe and love and an intense pride for my people, the trans people of faith whose unique experiences blossom into wisdom that every religious and spiritual community would be foolish to reject. In this episode, you will hear from 14 people of a whole variety of backgrounds, Christian, heathen, pagan, Jewish, Shinto, and more, from a whole variety of countries, the United States, Argentina, Australia, England. Some speak with their own voices. Others sent me transcripts to read on their behalf. I also got my wife to read a few of the stories, just to keep a little variety to the episode. The first person you'll hear from wishes to be anonymous. They did want me to let y'all know that they are in their 30s, since some people seem to think that non-binary people over 25 don't exist. I put their story first because they offer an important counter-narrative to the idea of sacredness. The idea that some spaces are more sacred than others, or that some spaces are not sacred at all. Since this is a podcast about breaking binaries, I love that they challenge the assumed binary between the sacred and the everyday. Hi, I'm non-binary and I'm a heathen. A heathen is in I practice heathenry, the worship of the Norse gods or for some people, other Germanic gods. As a heathen, the question of what makes a space or anything else sacred is difficult for me because my spirituality is built upon the rejection of the separation between the sacred and the mundane, or even the sacred and the profane. 
Our gods are part of nature, some would say embodied by nature. And nature doesn't really care about human ideas of sacred and profane, right and wrong. All of the things that happen in an ecosystem, including what humans would call the gross things and the scary things and the painful things, are necessary for that ecosystem to function and life to subsist. In my mind, it's pretty hard to place value judgments on nature since the alternative would be life not existing. I also don't agree with placing that kind of value judgment on necessary aspects of human life, such as biological functions. The so-called higher purposes of humanity could not exist without the so-called baser ones. Uh, to put it bluntly, I can't sing or pray or study philosophy if I don't also urinate and defecate. And I wouldn't be here to do so in the first place if my parents hadn't had sex at some point. I was raised to believe that my body and my gender, and my attitude toward my body and my gender as a trans person, were an affront to the divine. So seeing the divine represented by figures like Loki and Odin and others who shapeshift and break both historical and modern gender norms left and right, who aren't right or wrong but just are, was revolutionary for me. Accepting my body and my queerness as natural, nothing more, nothing less, was incredibly freeing. One of my favorite places to pray is in the park by the river. And materially, there's nothing particularly special about the spot. It's not adjacent to any house of worship or some important historical landmark or even especially beautiful compared to the land around it. But the river, after hundreds of miles and merging with a bunch of other rivers, eventually makes its way to the ocean. And through that, I am reminded of my connection to everything. I am, in a small way, connected to everyone else on the planet who shares the same ocean. I am connected to my ancestors who crossed the ocean and sailed up the river to get here. I am connected to all other living things who evolved in the ocean and are, very, very, very far back, relatives of mine. And fundamentally, that's what I'm seeking from spirituality. Connection. Even if society doesn't fully accept me, even if sometimes I have trouble accepting myself, I am still fundamentally connected to the divine. I am still a part of this world. Up next is Nano, a pagan Latinx in Argentina. They too find sacredness in the universe around them though they also discuss a more specific sacredness to be found in whatever an individual considers sacred. I read Nano's story for them. I find sacred meaning that reminds me of my path in almost everything. Nature, people, etc. The challenges don't usually come from within me, but from a lack on the outside. I don't know anyone who practices the way I do since all of my community, family, town, majority of the country is Christian. Just discovering my own path was a challenge on its own for this. I talk to the universe slash my spirit guides slash deities that will listen very often, almost every day. 
Gratitude is such a big part of my beliefs on the universe that I think mentioning it as a practice is important. I pray into the universe and to any God I feel like is listening or has my answer. I'm really open to the existence of all kinds of gods or deities. I guess that's because I just see them as another representation, another part of the universe. I talk or pray to them for the same reasons everyone else does. Guidance, strength, gratefulness, etc. I see them as guides on the journey. They're here to help. Answering the question of what spaces are sacred to me, I don't know if I'm sounding too hippie, but the truth is that every place in the world can hold an amount of magic in them to me. I really feel at home in naturey places, but also get a lot of feelings in places that other people put their energy into. For example, someone else's altar feels sacred to me for sure. Periods of time too. When I'm talking to the universe, that's definitely a sacred space. Whatever someone believes to be sacred, for whatever reason, is actually sacred to them. So it might as well be for me too. It has to do with the energy, for a lack of a better word, that anyone puts into anything. What are we but energy? What is anything but energy? So if it feels like it, the universe made it so for a reason. I hope I explained that even a little bit. I'm non-binary, and while I'm confident in my knowledge about myself and how the universe sees me, I can't lie and say that the big focus paganism puts on masculine-slash-feminine doesn't make me a little bit, hmm, you know? It's definitely something I want to work on, not to make myself change, but to see how I can work around it. As a non-binary person, it's a little difficult for me to comprehend, or if I'm being honest, accept it for myself. I am proud to say that in everyday life, it doesn't affect me. I have a really healthy relationship with my own femininity and masculinity, but in my practice and this space that pagans share, it makes me have to ignore it or change it to work with it. I mean, your path is what you make of it, I'm sure of this. So while I know I just have to shape it for my own guidance, it's a work in progress constantly. A short submission from someone who wishes to go by their Tumblr username, Agnostic Angel, also speaks to the sacredness of places that people put their time and energy into. My wife, Leah, read their submission for them. I'm a Londoner in my 40s. I'm non-binary and a practicing Anglican. For me, the essence of what makes this space sacred is captured in the hymn In Our Day of Thanksgiving. These stones that have echoed their praises are holy, and dear is the ground where their feet have once trod. Yet here they confessed they were strangers and pilgrims, and still they were seeking the city of God. To me, what hallows a place is its usage. The places that people love, those are holy. If it is true that what hallows a place is its usage, synagogues are holy places indeed. 
when genderqueer femme lesbian Jane D'Odessa enters synagogues, E finds sacredness or good energy there. I read E's story for M. I find myself praying only in urgency, when I feel like I need spiritual help on the quick fast. However, I find prayer a beautiful practice, and I'd like to incorporate it into my daily life more often. Even the word prayer strikes a chord with me. It's beautiful and has a deep, rich interfaith history to it. I pray to my God, whom I view as feminine and not of a binary gender. I sometimes use the Hebrew term Shahina to refer to God, as it helps me connect more to the sacred feminine. In this reflection, I've come to realize that praying to a feminine God helps me come to terms with my own unique disconnect from womanhood. Sacred is such a beautiful word. To me, sacred refers to something spiritually elevated, and it can take on different meanings throughout different cultural and personal contexts. Sacredness can come from time-honored tradition or from personal elevation. Synagogues are sacred to me. Going into a synagogue feels holy and humbling. I'm a martial arts practitioner, and in learning about energy, I've come to see that the feeling I get when I go to a synagogue is good energy. I find it personally and spiritually fascinating to attempt to connect my queerness and my Jewishness. At times, reconciling the two feels difficult and alienating. I often feel too Jewish for my queer friends and too queer for my Jewish community. However, I take solace in the fact that Judaism has had concepts of different genders beyond the binary for thousands of years. I have a connection to the term tumtum, which, to quote transtorah.org, is a person whose sexual characteristics are indeterminate or obscured. A modern-day interpretation of this term that I've seen, one that uses Western language, is a non-binary person or an intersex person. The fact that there is a term that equates to gender queerness within my religion gives me great peace. While Jane has found a place for gender queerness within Judaism, our next story comes from Jalen, who did not find such a place for themselves within fundamentalist Christianity. Zee embarked on a journey to discover a faith that would honor the spark of the divine within them, and eventually came to Shinto. Jalen is 23, white, autistic, has chronic pain, and lives in the USA's Midwest. Zee describes Zee's hobbies as a rotating series of special interests that lately have been gardening, fiber crafts, anarchism, and studying comparative religion. I grew up as a fundamentalist Christian, and worship was not optional. Good Christians worship God, and if you weren't a good Christian, you went to hell. And when your choices are worship or eternal torment, it's not really much of a choice. It wasn't even something I could escape from. The definition of worship wasn't hard and fast, but it was always something you had to do with your entire life. Paul wrote, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that was worship. Obedience was worship. For me and everyone else who was female, submission was worship. Your thoughts were either glorifying God, which was worship, or not, which was sinning. 
I remember having discussions about how one could eat a sandwich in a way that was worshipful. Worship was making my entire life as a living sacrifice unto God, and if I didn't like that idea, well, I could just go burn in hell. It was exhausting. It was traumatizing, really, to be told, worship means giving up all agency and personal autonomy. Do it or be tortured for eternity. I had no context at the time to realize it was abuse, and I was also really scared of hell. So I worship God by breaking down my selfhood, obeying, submitting, enjoying my suffering, because I'm not one of those fake Christians who sing song once a week and call it worship. I'm worshiping with my life. Not to discount singing songs. I loved church. It was the only sacred space I had, and while it didn't feel that sacred, it had a sanctuary that doubled as a gymnasium and hosted a lot of non-religious outreach events, but it was sacred enough. It was the only place I actually felt safe. At the time, I interpreted it as God's peace that I felt because I was in his house, but looking back, it's more accurate to say what I felt was relief from constant threats from abusive and neglectful parents and the hope that there was someone, i.e. God, who would love and care about me. That sacred space, a little bit of safety in my very chaotic world, was so important to me. I didn't know how I could live without it. But then I started realizing. I realized I was not straight, and probably not cisgender. The more I questioned my gender, the less safe church felt. I suddenly realized that my church would absolutely reject me, if not worse, if they knew I might not actually be a girl. I had moved to a different state from my parents by then, thankfully, so I just stopped going to church. The more I questioned... The more my connection with God faded, even though I tried to keep it. I worshipped as hard as I could. I even experimented with Christian witchcraft in desperation. I missed how strong my bond with God used to be, but it just kept fading. If he was out there, he obviously didn't want a gender-questioning worshipper any more than his church did. It was a difficult time. I didn't know how to be without a God to obey, even if the God I gave my life to had rejected me. So I started looking for another God, one that would accept a non-binary worshipper. I looked at a lot of different religions, but none of the other gods I found were as demanding as my former god. It was strange to realize, but not all gods were as authoritarian as the one I grew up with. The Hellenistic polytheist community on Tumblr fascinated me, and I still remember one quote in particular. I am a million times more at peace being a mess at Hecate's feet. I tried worshipping some Greek gods, but it never felt quite right and I stopped. I didn't know how to worship when the deity wasn't terrorizing me into obedience. I dabbled in pagan witchcraft, but eventually gave up on that too. For a while, I summed up my beliefs as, I think there's something out there bigger than us, but I don't think he, she, it, they, or whatever cares about humanity. For a brief time, I even called myself an atheist, but I don't think I ever truly was. I always felt that there was something else out there. I think some people are just predisposed to wanting something spiritual. My spouse is an atheist and has no idea for anything even vaguely resembling spirituality. But despite how rigid and traumatizing worship had been for me growing up, once I was free of obligation, I found that I actually wanted to worship. I missed having sacredness in my life. I found Shinto by accident. I read Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up twice, and I love how she related to objects, treating them with kindness and respect. She had been a Shinto shrine maiden as a child, and learning more about her way of relating to objects, I found myself drawn to Shinto and how it relates to the world. Shinto worships the kami. The word is usually translated as god, but it's more accurate to call them spirits or maybe personified energies. Anything that brings awe can be a kami. The most well-known kami are forces of nature personified, like Amaterasu Omakami, the kami of the sun. The sun doesn't care what gender I am. The sun accepts my worship and my gratitude no matter what pronouns I like. I'm still trying to learn how to worship when threats and strict obedience are not required, but I like that Shinto is about finding the sacredness in the everyday. Shinto believes that all humans are descended from the kami, and part of my worship practice has been recognizing and honoring that spark of the divine within me. I practice gratitude to the kami, respect and gentleness to people, and kindness to things. 
Inanimate objects may not have a kami, but they have their own energy and they know when you're kind to them. It brings me a sense of peace and sacredness to my daily life. It's all I really know how to do right now, but the kami aren't demanding and they accept me in my worship anyway. The only downside to practicing Shinto is that I live in the Midwest, and the only Shinto shrines in the United States are on the West Coast in Hawaii. I don't have access to those sacred spaces. But I've actually found that sacredness in a space isn't something that only comes from a god. You can intentionally create sacred space. The most sacred space I know is actually a yoga studio, and even when there isn't a class going on, every time I step inside I feel the atmosphere of meditation and peace. Really, I think peace is what worship and sacred spaces are all about. Finding peace with the world and with yourself. There may not be anything supernatural about it, but I choose to believe there is because that's what brings me peace. I find peace with the kami, I find peace in the sacred yoga studio, and I find peace every time I take a deep breath and feel gratitude and remember that the sacred is within me. Worship is just a way for me to express the sacredness that I already have. Our next story also comes from someone who sought spirituality outside of a hurtful Christian tradition. But this person remains Catholic while also partaking in Wicca. Unable to share too much about themselves because of where they work, they wish to go by Deacon Phoebe. I read their story for them. My alias is Deacon Phoebe, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them, and I am a non-binary woman. When I was very young, I intuitively perceived Big Bird, the brave little toaster, canonically a gender in the novella, Gumby, and other characters to be a third androgynous gender. Although I didn't have the words to describe them, I took comfort in knowing that there were others like me. Then the extreme, abusive, complementarian teachings of my childhood parish made me believe that because I am assigned female at birth, I am unclean, unworthy, and undesired by God. Hatred of womanhood both implicit and explicit, defined my life up until I was 16 and discovered the feminine mystique by Betty Friedan. Although this was 40 years after the book first came out, it was as though Friedan had written it just for me. From that point on, aided by the Jesuit priests of my high school and the school sisters of St. Francis in my college, I grasped onto feminism as a way to get away from that abuse. Only after I used the tools of second and third wave feminism in my deconstruction could I revisit what I intuited as a child. I have always been non-binary, and womanhood has been both oppressive and empowering in my development as a whole person. I am both. I don't know what it's like to have a mom and a lot of my spiritual practice is communing with God in a way that God fills that need for maternal love. My childhood parish was Catholic, and I converted to Wicca as a teenager. Now I bridge both spiritual traditions. I regularly participate in my local Way of the Red Rose feminist rosary circle, my local Red Tent, the only queer Catholic ministry in my diocese, and my local Witches Circle. Although I don't attend mass very often lately because I can't take the white machismo idolatry, I enthusiastically celebrate Marian Holy Days and Many Saints Feast Days. My altar at home is covered with Mother Mary imagery. 
I light candles and incense for her, and I set out fresh flowers for her. When I'm especially irritated by politics, white supremacy, cishet androcentricism, and so on, I take long hikes while praying my rosary. Sometimes I'll go out in the wilderness and just yell, God, what the fuck? Sometimes I can feel mom yell back, I know, right? While I would definitely call my spirituality feminist, the gender essentialism and complementarianism of a lot of feminist spirituality is frustrating. My spirituality and feminism are neither oppositional nor complementary to anything. They just are. I am non-binary. My spirituality is non-binary. I have developed through the construct of white cis womanhood, my spirituality is feminist. The Magnificat, Luke 1, 46-55, makes me think Mother Mary can relate to this. The next person we'll hear from also finds community among Mary and the other saints. And if you've listened to past episodes of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, you might recognize their voice. The following is a clip from my conversation with Enrique Cintron, where they and I talk about the power in communing with those who have come before us and how great personal altars are. Okay, this is going to be creepy. This is Avery being <laughs> creepy. One of the people you interviewed, the last one I listened to, Jessica, yeah, um, mentioned that you have an altar in your house. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Avery being extra creepy. Like it was a throwaway <laughs> line. We're just because the two of you were talking about the veneration of saints and how important that feels to the two of you when it comes to having this this community of ancestors um, who are still alive. And I feel that too because I'm Catholic, even though I've joined a Presbyterian church, which is very much not like we do not talk about saints right. ever, and I miss it because I love the saints. And so that just made me feel so happy to hear y'all talking about the communion of saints being alive with us today. And so Jessica mentioned you have an altar. Yeah. And I would just, I'd love to hear, like, who is on your altar or what is on your altar? And what does that altar do, like, for you spiritually? Yeah. I I mean, we're doing this via Skype. I would show you, but I'm actually at my parents' house. Oh, that's um, fine. So I'll send you a picture. Awesome. Um, yes, please. So... My, my altar has changed so much in the past three years because it started with literally just like a little prayer card that I got from a Catholic church of um, the divine mercy Jesus was, mm -hmm. you know, when he's like, he has the like two beams of light coming out of him. Right. Yeah. Um, so it went from that to like having all of these icons and this crucifix and candles and all this other stuff. And I think, you know, it's it's something that like, I think that a lot of Catholic people have, yeah. um, and it's just kind of like this thing that we we do. <laughs> um, um, I guess kind of like to bring the, the sacred into the home and the home being an extension of the church. Mm. And, you know, I, I was kind of inspired mostly like by like my grandmother because my grandma has this like big altar in her apartment, like literally like it's like a bookshelf oh, with wow. like all these statues and prayer cards and pictures and stuff like that. And it just really helps to like have this place where I know I can just like lay everything down and just like sit and be with God. 
especially when I'm going through hard times. Like I just like sit there and I just vent and I'm just like, God, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So right now I have, um, I have this crucifix that I got a while back kind of nailed above the wall or on the wall above everything. And then I have an icon of um, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And then I have an icon of St. Sebastian. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, who's like very big. Yay icon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's this really big icon that um, my priest at my parish actually gave me as a housewoman present. Oh, my gosh. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and then I have uh, another icon of St. Matthew an icon of Moses the Black, who was a saint from North Africa. Mm -hmm. And then, so I actually, I have two altars. Oh, awesome. Um, So I have my like altar with like all of my icons and saints and stuff. And then I I have a different altar that's on top of my bookshelf where I keep all of my pictures of my ancestors. Oh, okay. Um, So like I have a picture of like my grandfather who passed away a few years ago. My aunt, who passed away, um, other relatives who are no longer with us, um, and then I have a picture of uh, Sylvia Rivera and Sandra Bland. And you know, I just like I like having these physical reminders because it's really important to remind myself of like the people who paved the way for me, whether you know they're like icons in the church or just like ordinary people in my everyday life who made an impact on me or activists like Sylvia Rivera, who, you know, literally like paved the way for me to be able to be myself. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's so important to have that and to be able to look at them and, you know, just offer prayers of of gratitude and thanks. And to say like, you know, thank you for, for everything that you've done for, for me and for my community. Sticking to the theme of personal altars, Jude talks about how their transness is incorporated into their worship at their personal altar and at church. Jude is a queer, neurodivergent, kind of pagan slash kind of Christian kid living in the Bible Belt of the United States. After growing up in a Catholic household, they're trying to piece together what they believe and what feels sacred and holy to them. I read their submission for them. Sacred space is the hollowed-out bit where my hips dip in and the empty pouch at the front of my Walmart boys' briefs. It's the little box in the bottom of my church's webpage that says LGBTQ Welcoming Congregation and the space on the visitor name tags for pronouns. It's the testosterone vials I keep on my altar because doing shots still stresses me out after nearly three years, and the my shots are painless sigil I scribble on every needle wrapper I get from the Walgreens. In the center of the wall behind my altar hangs the trans flag I bought from a fellow trans person on Etsy screen printed with a cartoon angel with top surgery scars and the phrase, to be queer is to be holy. (music) 
Ezra Saville's story continues the theme of prayer spaces in one's home. Ezra is a 20-year-old trans-mask, non-binary, intersex Jew from the Pacific Northwest area of the United States. And along with describing some of the objects and practices that enrich their spiritual life, they also talk about how their gender gives them a unique insight into the nature of God that cisgender people just don't have. Ezra also put together a project to aid queer Jewish people in their worship that is simply amazing. Be sure to check that out via the link in this episode's info. I read Ezra's story for them. I have recently created a space for my prayer. I have a table that has different meaningful objects on it. My Shabbos candles, Kiddush cup, my Sidurim, my Tzedakah box, and more. So many books. I also possess tefillin and talisim that I keep on this desk, and above it I have my Mizrach. A Mizrach is a marker of where East is, so when I pray, I orient myself to Jerusalem. I light incense or candles before I begin prayer. It creates that sense of sacredness. As I imagine what the Kohanim felt as they engaged in their daily upkeep of the temple. The next important part is melody. My prayers are often sung. Rejoicing in sung prayer creates that sense of being a sacred, holy space. What makes it sacred? Hashem is everything and everywhere, but I am called to that reality so potently here. I think that can be engaged anywhere, and it is also very potent out in nature. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev created the practice of talking to Hashem aloud in nature. I don't often have a chance to be outside in nature, but when I do, it is intoxicating. Because I am so close to Hashem, I can feel them everywhere. I believe all rooms and spaces and liminalities of the sacred require prayer. Prayer is echoed in the walls of what is sacred, even if those walls are the edges of the universe. Personal prayer, for me, is different than the prayer I have on Shabbos with my fellow Jews. It is just as meaningful and beautiful, but it is harder. You must take the steps forward to put yourself in the presence of Hashem. Some days I don't pray at all because I got up too late or I was simply lazy. It's a habit that I'm trying to establish, and I work on it every day, and I can only push to get better and more consistent. The idea of prayer inspires me to meet with God in the halls of royalty. I pray to Hashem because I am engaging in devakut, cleaving to God. I pray for the health of myself and others, to praise and give thanks, to give me the patience to be a better person, to spurn my oppressors, and to express my betrothal to Hashem every day. God and I have such great love for each other. Judaism has tons of ideas of embodiment within prayer. For example, the act of wrapping tefillin and shuckling are two sides of a passionate love for the divine. The Bashat, the Baal Shem Tov, says that prayer is zivug, coupling, with the Shekhinah, and that you can achieve great ecstatic rapture in prayer because of it. Accompanied with the act of wrapping tefillin, in one part of this ritual, we wrap a tefillin strap around our middle finger. We recite, 
I betrothed you to me forever. I betrothed you to me in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy. I betrothed you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know God. Those are lines from Hosea. How beautiful is that? I am marrying myself to Hashem daily. There are Jews around the world doing this, engaging in marriage with God. It's not an imagery we speak of often in reference to the roles Hashem fills, but it is my favorite. I also pray because I yearn. It hurts to not be close to Hashem. If they are to be like my parent, my lover, my healer, my guide, my judge, I want to be near them always. Not out of trying to gain something selfishly, but merely because the conjunction of creator and creation is something so special that nothing else can replicate that bond. Hashem commands us to do justice in this life, which I strive and work to do. I also have a goal across all my lives, the nullification of self, of isness, so I can truly become one with Hashem. As far as transness and my spirituality, let me tell you of a common concept in Jewish thought about liminal time. Rabbi Elliot Kukla writes, and this is a long quote, Jewish tradition has a unique relationship with twilight, that ethereal moment in every day when dark and light meet. The rising of the sun and its going down are moments that we cannot label with certainty and all the more so the twilight of the evening of the new year. Our sages taught, as to twilight, it is doubtful whether it is part day and part night, or whether all of it is day or all of it is night. How long does the twilight last? After sunset, as long as the east still has a reddish glow. When the lower sky is pale, but not the upper, it is twilight. But when the upper sky is pale as the lower, it is night. Such is the opinion of Rabbi Judah. Rabbi Yossi said, Twilight is like the twinkling of an eye, as night enters and the day departs, and it is impossible to determine its length. The rabbis taught that twilight and dawn are the best times to pray. They concluded that these times that are in between and indefinable are when our prayers are most likely to be heard. The place in the middle that made them afraid was also for them the place where miracles were most likely, where divine forces rise, where transformation is most possible. Rather than shutting down the twilight hour, they opened it and elevated it. It is not a degraded middle place. It is exceptionally holy. This approach to intermediate time is also, in many instances, Judaism's approach to intermediate space. Places in the middle are not places to rush through. They are places to be sanctified." End quote. That was a lot of text, but for good reason. Rabbi Kukla explained it best. The in-between, the liminal, is the most holy. This is why I think I have a privilege in being non-binary. I can connect to God in multiplicity that a cisgender person could not imagine God is she, he, they, z, and more. Once you are in touch with that, you can feel the flow of divine light through you. I also can learn to find sacredness within me.
often we are told our bodies are somehow not sacred, are profane and undeserving of Hashem. I push back on that idea that any body could be profane before Hashem. We are made in their image, and that is something no one can take from you. My transness and my Judaism are so intertwined, not two halves of a whole. I could not imagine my Jewishness without being trans, nor could I imagine my transness without being Jewish. It would be incomplete. That is why I made my Shacharit Siddur for Twilight People. It was part of the February 2020 Poetry Jam on itch.io, and I wanted to present something for those who want to engage in daily prayer but feel lost. It features gender-expansive translations, interpretive poetry, original photography, and it is focused on this idea of transness and twilight being connected. What a powerful journey this took me through. Creating this was lots of work, and I spent many hours awake in the night working on it, but I truly got to learn the liturgy this way, and how my transness connected to it. Ezra mentioned that he often sings his prayers. That love for music is something that our next guest, Jasper, can definitely relate to. Though Jasper struggles with harmful ideology spread in their evangelical community, they have also come to see God as one who loves and affirms them, a being with whom they can communicate through music beyond words. Hi all, I'm Jasper, I'm 16, and I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. So, I live and breathe music. I've picked up quite a few instruments along the years, but the one closest to my heart will always be the violin. I started when I was four, so I can't really remember my life without the violin. You know when people ask you when your thing is? The thing you love and excel at. My answer to that has always been the violin, and I guess it was just natural for my parents to have related that back to religion. I can't recall exactly when my parents signed me up for worship teams and the like, but what I do know is there was no going back. To this day, worship is something I still cherish dearly. Right off the bat, church folks started to tell my parents how quote-unquote gifted and quote-unquote touched by God my worship and, by extension, I was. And for a while, it was great, really great. But then I started to grow up. I started to understand things I didn't before, and the way I saw myself and thought God thought of me changed. Because how could that be? How could I be so quote-unquote gifted when these very same people were the ones telling me again and again through their words and actions that someone like me wasn't even worthy of entering the house of God, that our sheer existence was a bastardization of God's creation? How could they tell me that my body was the temple of God when feeling it and seeing it in the mirror made me want to vomit? People shouldn't have the power to change your relationship with God. Yet being so constantly drenched in that environment made me so, so afraid. 
And for a while I ran, I lived a complete double life, one as the oh-so-perfect church girl. All of the aunties cooed over and one as someone who pretended the cross he wore was just a fashion statement and he was superstitious instead of religious. I would fake prayers because they terrified me to the core. I thought that the second I knelt, God would rain fury upon me and strike me dead. A lot of the time, I still struggle to conceptualize God as not just the detached God of my parents, but as someone loving and close and magnificent. It's easier, a lot easier when I worship though, a sort of serenity and peace that I can only describe as supernatural settles over me, and I'm not exactly sure how to articulate this, but it's like God's presence is close enough to touch, and I can feel a voice telling me that someone does understand, and despite how isolated and hurt I feel in my spiritual walk pretty much all the time, God is truly there for me. It's during these times that I can truly believe that God loves me and isn't furious at or disappointed in me, and I could just be me without any of the deception I have to do in order to, you know, go to any of the church-type places I do on a regular basis. See, worshiping to God is one of the few experiences wherein I can truly sing. I'm really insecure about my voice, and there's quite some time before I can actually medically transition if I ever will. It's the only time I don't feel like I have to constantly look over my shoulder in fear. Time and time again, other Christian folks say really, really invalidating and hurtful things that are not worth mentioning again, and yet somehow, miraculously, worship helps me push past that. For evangelical folks, worship is basically playing an instrument or singing to God. For me, it's when I feel like I'm communicating with God past words. I trust that God will understand whatever is in my heart, that I can't and don't know how to vocalize. And I'm sure it's this way for cisgender and heterosexual folks too, but there's just some things I find extremely hard to articulate. On good days, praying is fulfilling and peaceful, but on bad days, my mind is flooded by my own imagination, showing me the disgusted faces of my parents and other church folks. So I mostly stay away from the traditional evangelical getup. Sometimes the guilt and shame and confusion and self-hatred bubbles up, and I find that worship shuts that out completely, and I'm so grateful to God that I've received this gift, if you will, for music. Just as it is for Jasper, music is a big part of how Adrian connects to God. Adrian's non-binary identity has likewise expanded their vision of the divine and how they approach faith. Adrian is a 22-year-old from Oklahoma. They love to garden, hike, paint, make pottery, write stories, and bake tasty treats. Adrian will be graduating with undergraduate degrees in biology and psychology this May, and will be pursuing a PhD in educational psychology. My wife, Leah, kindly agreed to read Adrian's story on their behalf, so that's whose voice you'll be hearing in a second. For a long time, I didn't really have much of a personal connection with God. Growing up in a Christian school, I had Bible classes and chapels. The latter I ended up being involved in more by being in the worship band. It was like my spiritual needs were satisfied by that, so I didn't feel a need to do anything at home. I didn't read my Bible regularly. I didn't even pray all that much either. My family bounced around from church to church before eventually just not going, which is a story for another day. 
right as I was figuring out who I am, I had no clue who I was in Christ. Everyone around me seemed to have something genuine, but I didn't have that. I could just fake it as a good student. One thing that kept me going, that I guess preserved what little faith I had, was being a worship leader. Initially, I wanted to be in the band because a lot of my friends were, but it ended up being a major part of my formative years in high school. Looking back, I realized that this was a gift God gave me for a reason. Playing guitar or bass, singing hymns and contemporary music, that was the only time I actually felt connected to God. It was the way the music sounded, the feel of the bass strings on my fingers, the voices of my fellow worship leaders in the student body. I was a part of something bigger than me, and I feel it every time I'm leading. After a lot of research led me to the conclusion that I'm most likely autistic, it was clear that I was stimming my worship. No wonder I feel so right when I have all of these sensory inputs aligning in a joyful sound for God. I can rock and move as I wish, savor the vibration of my bass, feel secured by the pressure of the guitar strap on my shoulder, add to the interlocking melody and harmonies. I'm making something that is both my worship and helping others do their worship. It is deeply comforting to have a job to do every week, and I didn't realize how much I needed the structure. I feel church sanctuaries have an aura of sacredness, as they should, but a place that I find particularly sacred is nature. I try to be in it as much as I can in any form. My particularly memorable moments are hiking and camping trips I've taken in the mountains. When I'm in a forest surrounded by tall pines, wind whooshing through the needles, I know I'm in something that is way bigger than me. Something older, with many forms of life in abundance. I'm always in awe of what God has made, how it changes, adapts, persists. To those big trees, I'm but a speck in the hundreds of years they've been alive, and hopefully will live after I'm gone. I didn't realize until recently how my transness impacts my worship. I basically ignored that part of me when I was confused about who I was, if God actually didn't love me as a non-binary individual, if I would go to hell if I transitioned. My worship was the only thing that kept my faith alive. That feeling of something bigger than myself, bigger than my gender, bigger than people's thoughts about my gender, bigger than their interpretation of Bible passages about people like me. After finding some good resources like Queer Theology and Queerly Christian, I realized that my transition is also an act of worship. My gender is bigger than the boxes society provides. I don't want to force who God meant me to be into the label I was assigned at birth. The process of accepting myself as I was ended up changing my faith. Instead of blindly believing what I'd been taught, taking the Bible literally, I've been in a process of reconstruction, unlearning some things and learning new things. Before, I didn't really read my Bible regularly or pray unless I had troubles, but now I'm actually interested in developing a relationship with God as I am. I can read passages and be confused, or question the meaning and consider the context, and that's okay. I also realized I needed more order in my reading. I couldn't just flip open my Bible like some people did, or just talk to God about anything. It was too easy for me to get distracted or confused. Now I'm working through the Common Revised Lectionary, taking time to consider the passages over the course of the week. 
I'm still working on finding a method to make praying feel more natural, but I know I'll get there eventually, based on the progress I've made. I'm still involved in worship music now at the Baptist Student Ministries at my university. And I'm even out too, kind of, though I still go by my birth name. And now I feel like my experience of God isn't just confined to when I've got a bass in my hands. Four years ago, I didn't know if I would still be a Christian by the time I finished my undergraduate degree. Now I'm in the process of reinventing my faith by being true to me, letting myself have the accommodations I need to make my study time work for me. I don't have everything figured out yet, but this is a journey that I'm looking forward to as I learn more about myself, my faith, and my God. Like Adrian, and like so many of the people we've heard from today, Pina Colada finds the sacred in nature and in gardening. Pina is a pantheistic 22-year-old from Toronto who believes that every part of the universe is a part of God. I read their story for them. I'm non-binary and have had a long-time interest in religion and spirituality. I grew up Catholic and was a major nerd about the Bible, to the point my teacher bought me my own and wrote a lovely inscription encouraging my passion. I, however, had a very different understanding of the Bible than others. I did not at all interpret Jesus and God to be of the same spirit. Embarrassingly, I thought the celestial body, the sun, was a part of the Trinity. Good old dyslexia. I fully believed that the Trinity was mankind, represented through Jesus, God, the Creator, and nature, represented as the Son. So, I was never truly Catholic. I would describe myself as pantheistic, and my beliefs closely resembled the Konkokyo sect of Shintoism, but I don't consider myself a follower of any religion. I simply believe that every part of the universe is a part of God and I'm just a small facet of them. My spiritual practices consist of listening to tamuriata slash Italian folk drumming, especially those dedicated to Feminielli, the trans people of Naples, and spending time in nature. Gardening is actually a spiritual practice for me, where I get to nurture saplings, feed insects, revitalize soil, and keep a small part of the ecosystem balanced. Taking care of nature is an extension of taking care of myself. Interacting with this small part of the universe helps me feel connected with others and reminds me that I am not alone. I'm in a symbiotic relationship. Every part of my body, each type of bacteria, every atom is a part of my being and works to keep me alive. How can I not appreciate life knowing that? Our penultimate story comes from Caitlin, a 20-year-old living in Australia, where they study nursing and write poetry. They too find sacredness out in nature, and have experienced an expansion in their vision of God connected to their non-binariness. That's something about so many of these stories that fills me with joy and reverence. How many of us find our non-binary or trans identities to be a spiritual gift? 
and how much our gender identities enrich our connection to the divine or spiritual, whatever that means for us. My wife Leah read Caitlin's story for them. My name is Caitlin. I identify as non-binary and use she or they pronouns. I call myself a Christian, but for the most part, Christianity can be very grating for me, as I don't agree with things most Christians seem to think is important to following God, like being anti-abortion and anti-gay and going on about religious freedoms. I mostly go to church as a formality. For me, spiritual life means fellowship with church friends, like when I was at Bible college, personal study of the Bible, and ministry. I am very passionate about social justice, and that flows directly out of my faith. So doing things that help others is a very spiritual practice to me. I pray to the God of the Christian Bible, but I don't tend to limit them to that when I think about them. I read Malala Yousafzai's book years ago, and when she spoke about her faith, I just remember feeling so strongly that she was talking about my God, even though she was Muslim and I was Christian. And so many pastors over the years go on about how our God is unlike any other and that it is blasphemous to think otherwise. I have sensory issues also, so for me, a place needs to be just so. I find it really hard to pray unless I'm outside. In that sense, I would call nature a sacred space to me. A sacred space is really just a place that has special meaning for you. I get flashbacks very vividly, and so anywhere I go becomes associated with some meaning. But in terms of my spiritual life, lying in my backyard and looking at the stars, that's sacred to me. That's how I pray. Everything about it makes me feel just so close to God. The cool air and the endless expanse of space and the sound of the world around me. This idea of being raw and real and in the world just really speaks to me of God's presence. I sometimes pray with lists and stuff, but mostly it's a dialogue. Just me talking to God about my day or what's on my mind. On occasion, it is weeping or raging at God. I always find reasons to praise them, however, and praying brings me a lot of peace and joy. Realizing I was non-binary was intrinsically linked with my understanding of God expanding. Throughout my life, I'd had issues with being perceived as female, whether because of the stigma associated with girls or dysphoria, doesn't really matter. The idea that God was male was just kind of universally accepted, even though it makes no sense, especially since humans are made in the image of God. So you're either saying women aren't human or God isn't just a man. I read the whole Bible in my teenage years, went to Bible college for a year, and did a lot of research. And I really came to understand just how limited our view of God can be and how amazing God really is when we stop trying to confine them to our worldview. I actually wrote a poem when I was trying to figure out whether I was non-binary or not. And in that, I talked about God a lot. There's specifically a bit where I was talking about feeling between the cracks of society in a lot of ways. My sexuality, my gender identity, my mental health, my faith. And definitely, the more I read the Bible, I realized that God doesn't fit into any of the nice boxes we'd like them to. So accepting that I am non-binary and then going to the Bible and seeing that God is like me, that was just so powerful. For me, transness is about how I understand myself. And that impacts how I understand God in the Bible also. This has been transformative for my spiritual life. God is queer. God has no gender. 
I imagine Jesus would have felt a lot like me as God given a human form. From the way he constantly ignores and transcends gender roles, it seems obvious that being perceived a man was stifling to him. I think any identity can help us learn about God because of their vastness. But for me, imagining God as non-binary really does just make my spiritual and prayer life so much easier. It's that idea of connecting with God of a relationship. My faith gives me a lot of hope in being non-binary, like how I wrote in that one poem. I just wish this wasn't an issue, that gender didn't exist. That we could just be people and things weren't so weird. I like the idea that before they left the garden, Adam and Eve weren't male and female. Not really. There would be no need for that anyway. And the Bible all but tells us that gender won't be a thing in heaven. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I think about that a lot, and it helps me be proud of who I am, and the God I live for. We did it, y'all. We've made it to the last story. And just like with Enrique, you might recognize this last person. Taylor talked to me about being a Christian witch in their own episode just a couple months ago. The part of our conversation that I did not include in that episode, but want to share with y'all now, is the brief tarot reading that Taylor did for me. I went into this reading knowing very little about tarot, and feeling unsure about what was going to happen. It turned out to be super cool and helpful. Taylor finds sacredness in these cards, and shares that sacredness with others through conducting readings for them. See the episode info for a link to where you can ask Taylor for their services. So what we're going to do today is I'm just going to pull from the tarot card. If Mm -hmm. people want my services, I use tarot and multiple oracle decks to get a fuller, bigger picture, but also to get uh, multiple sort of what I would call tones of voice (laughs) because the tarot can be very harsh. Mm, um, mm-hmm. you go to the tarot if you want some tough love or if you just want to get real. <laughs> okay. Um, Oracle cards are so much more loving. <laughs> That's good to know. All I can say is, <laughs> yeah. Like for tarot, you would pick some tarot cards and they would say, pick yourself up off the couch, go do the thing, stop being lazy, figure it out. <laughs> the, or- the Oracle cards would say, you have just experienced a beautiful period of rest and relaxation mm, mm-hmm. necessary for your next move. Yeah. Self-care now is good. <laughs> yeah. Now mm. is the time. The energy is here to make the next move. So go with God and do that next move. That's mm. how a, that's how an Oracle deck is going to say it. That is not yeah. how the tarot is going to say it. Yeah. So and basically, I... what I'm... yo, go ahead. Sorry, I have so many questions and I get excited and I interrupt people. Uh, But I do, if you have like a really short like spiel about where do tarot cards and oracle cards come from slash how do you see them in a spiritual way? Like what do you feel happens when you use them? 
Right. Okay. Uh, Reader's Digest version. They the tarot specifically started as a storytelling game. So okay. let's think D and D, but with cards. Ooh, fun. So we're we're coming up with stories. We're pulling cards. We're coming up with stories. We're telling stories. We're sharing in community and narrative. Okay. And that's how they started. So they're rich in symbolism, and they're divided into two decks: the Major Arcana and the Minor Arcana. The Major Arcana are these sort of big symbols, uh, these big archetypes or big Mm -hmm. events that would happen in one person's life. And they're all numbered. They go zero to 20, 21, but it starts with the fool and the fool is number zero. And so the fool is before anything starts and the tarot is the fool's journey through life. Hmm. And the minor arcana are basically like a regular deck of cards with suits. There's cups, wands, pentacles, and where am I? Swords. Um, And they all relate to different, they all have their own symbolism. But those all go ace through ten plus four face cards. A knight, a page, a king, and a queen. Okay. So how I use them in my own life is to engage with that symbolism to gain clarity on my current space. Mm-hmm. and to gain affirmation and confidence okay and i i use a pendulum and okay. the pendulum basically it goes in a circle and you can ask it questions and when it swings back and forth towards you it means yes and when it swings side to side it means no i use the pendulum to pick the cards mm-hmm. a lot of tarot readers will have you pick the cards they'll pick the mm-hmm. cards themselves what i believe is happening is i'm communicating with a person's guides spirit guides i'm communicating with their angels and i'm communicating with divine energy to pick okay. the cards that work that that are oh actually first card is for you there we go and i go through the deck one by one to pick cards because we're doing this quickly i'm just going to ask how many cards are in the deck for you okay. hopefully no more than three is it one card two cards three cards three cards okay, okay. um we got two already and we're going to hope that the next one... Oh, and three. Perfect. Okay. So I pulled for you the Ace of... With all Swords. The Ace of Swords. Okay. And the Queen of Swords. And Six of Swords. The Six looks a little ominous, but... Um, I think it looks a cool. To, <laughs> yeah. A good thing to know about the tarot is some people will think like, oh, what if I get the devil? What if I get death? <laughs> What if I get this? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no such thing as a bad card in the tarot. Okay. Um, everything has ups and downs, just like life. Everything has good mm-hmm. and bad. That's but good to know, because you... a lot of swords is kind of scary. <laughs> right. Swords represent intellect. Um, Ooh, okay. And sort of ideas. And what's great about the Ace of Swords is it represents a new idea. And as you can you can see and I'll explain, it's Mm -hmm. a hand wielding a sword coming out of the clouds. Yeah. The clouds in tarot represent spirit or what I would call divine energy or what I would call God. Um, So for you, is there a new have you had a new idea recently that feels sort of divinely inspired or a new journey sitting off on? Yeah. Cool. See, <laughs> and so this is really just affirmation of yes, like go with this new idea. The energy is now. You have it. Like the next, take the next step. Okay. Um, in that idea. 
And that idea is divinely inspired. It's coming from spirit. It's coming from God. So God is there with you. Cool. And then the queen of swords also has the clouds in the background. She's wielding mm -hmm. a sword and she's surrounded by roses. Mm -hmm. And so this is a person, the queen of swords. She has a level of mastery over her ideas. And since it's the queen, we can sort of bring in some divine feminine energy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing is like a lot of people will be like, oh, well, the cards are so binary. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's divine feminine. There is divine masculine. They mix. They interact. Yeah. They create new things that are neither or both, like, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. all of the above. So it might be... And that's the thing is like, regardless of gender, any mm -hmm. face card, sometimes it can represent you. Sometimes it can represent another person in your life. Okay. And sometimes it can represent the, just the energy of the own card. Mm -hmm. um, I get the feeling and the pendulum is swinging. Yes. When I'm thinking and feeling this is that mm -hmm. this is somebody in your life. This is an advisor, mm -hmm. like a spiritual advisor, a creative partner, um, somebody else who's going to support you in this new idea. Is there another person you've bounced the idea off of recently? There's someone I've been thinking of talking about it with. So I guess I'll have to call her out. <laughs> this is saying you have to talk to that person. Cool. Um, and then this five of swords, there is a person rowing a boat with five swords stabbed through it and mm -hmm. a person cloaked sort of hunched over and they are traveling by sea it's very hard to see but i'll also explain there are waves behind right. the boat mm -hmm. there is calm water ahead of the boat mm -hmm. and there is land in the background that they're mm -hmm. moving towards. this is a beautiful card i love this card it's just representing um moving away from something that has been hard difficult traumatic mm -hmm. or even just pesky and letting you know that there is just uh smooth waters ahead you can move forward. You can leave the past behind. There's an opportunity for healing. And then again, you're not alone in this boat. There's somebody guiding you. And that person is is there to take care of you and there to help you along your journey. And it's definitely a moment to say none of us are in it alone, but also that nothing is permanent, you know. So I think that's like, this is super beautiful for you. I really love this for you. Oh, thank you. It does seem like a really cool card. Yeah, but yeah, those are the cards that we pulled for you. That really helps me understand the idea of tarot a lot better. Right, and it's so accessible. It really, yeah. the symbolism is so, it, it's for everyone. Very neat. And now I have to get to work on this project, darn it. <laughs> yeah. well, everyone, what I call your team, this is, I, this is how I say it. I say, everybody has a team. Mm -hmm. They have their master guides who are real people, real souls, and then everybody has their angels. Yeah. And biblically speaking, angels are not humans. They are otherworldly creatures. You know, your team is on your side with this new idea. They're telling you it's time to do it and mm. you're not alone and you're going to have a lot of support. And even if I feel like I'm getting, let me pull my pendulum and see what the pendulum says. I'm getting the feeling from the, the six of swords mm -hmm. that with, with this idea, 
maybe you have tried something similar in the past, or maybe there might just be some like lingering feelings of self-doubt in terms of, can I make my ideas come to fruition? And the six of swords is really saying like, let that go. It's really time for you to let that go um, so that you can move forward with the most positive energy possible with this new idea. Oh, that's awesome. My, if, do you mind if I tell you what it is? Or is it supposed to be? Please go for it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing about tarot is like, it's yeah. a conversation, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I've been thinking and I've been like brainstorming it for literally months now, uh, like a new YouTube series on disability theology. Yes. It feels kind of overwhelming for various reasons. One is that like, I'm autistic. And so sometimes just like starting things is really hard for me and not knowing where to start. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> this is some motivation now. A sort of like, yeah, that's okay. Amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> the world, the world is ready. The world needs it. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. That was really fun. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. I cannot express the depths of my gratitude towards the people who shared their stories for this episode. I hope all of y'all also enjoyed hearing from them and learning about the richness of faith to be found in the trans community. Also, a note about what I said at the end of my conversation with Taylor a second ago. I have indeed started my YouTube series on disability theology. It's called Disabled and Blessed, and I encourage you to go check it out. Go to Queerly Christian on YouTube to see the videos I've posted so far. They all have captions. If you get something worthwhile out of this podcast, please support it. Rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. Send this episode to a friend you think would like it. Send a few dollars my way at ko-fi.com slash queerlychristian or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash queerlychristian to set up monthly donations. My biggest thanks go to those patrons who support me at a $12 level or higher every single month. Remy Page, Jay Gebner, Willow Hoving, Ron Hartzler, you are seriously the coolest. You are helping me produce more and more content every month. Thank you. That's the end of this episode. If you liked it, make sure to check out the episode information for places to contact some of the participants. I would also love if you reached out to chat with me, to share your feedback or questions, tell me what you got out of the episode, or so on, at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. My friends... The world needs you now more than ever. Please do what you can to keep yourself safe and to lend a helping hand to those around you. Get out there, or actually, if you can, stay quarantined inside and break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life. <laughs>